0: Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies
1: the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I don't know if you have ever experienced something so fantastical but real or so phenomenal yet real that you don't know how to talk about it because people may not believe you. Has that ever happened in your life? We certainly see this in movies. You know, the alien is uh, the alien encounter happens, and then the person starts to talk about, it, or or Clark Kent doesn't know how to even begin explaining to anyone, even Lois, who he actually is. And you're just you're wanting people to find out. You want Lois to know who Clark actually is. Little Elliot. First sees E.T. in his backyard, and then he ends up bringing him into his bedroom, and his closet, and yet, ha- yet the whole time we want the world to know, and yet it's just too, nobody will believe you, you know? We, we understand that. A- Amy and I have had a, a few experiences. I'm trying to think of what are the most, like, crazy stories. Um, we, we, you know, because of the film festival, a few years ago we get this crazy phone call one day One of our film festival guests at the Washington West Film Festival coming up in October. If you don't know what that is, you'll hear more about it soon. Uh, It's a festival that I lead and a lot of you lead, a lot of you volunteer in. I get this phone call one day that an Academy Award winning um, person that pretty much everybody knows who had gotten involved with our film festival is an Academy voter. Watches films every year and votes like all the Academy voters do and had to watch a really big film three years ago to vote and asked us if we wanted to come to their house to watch it with them. And we were like, so when I answered, you know, there's only one answer to that question. I, I thought about, like, you know, let, let us think about it. We, uh, we may have a bit, you know, of course the answer is yes to that. And then afterwards, we were like, do we ever tell anybody this? Like had, tomorrow, like at neighbors, do, at church? Like, we, this is so amazing. And yet, we just felt like, first of all, no, we're not going to do that. But, and here I am kind of hinting about it, you know, three years later this morning. But also, I don't know if anybody would believe us. I don't know if, how would we even explain this? I had, as another example, I had an experience <clears throat> in my early 20s. That with God, it was a a God experience, not feeling or sensing in my spirit or my heart kind of experience with God, but an actual, like, I saw something. And I'm telling you, I could count on one hand or maybe a hand and a half, maybe seven or eight fingers, the, the people that I've told this happened to, because I just don't know if anybody would walk away thinking, I don't believe Brad. It was something that I actually saw. You know, you hear stories about angels or some kind of visual. It's happened one time in my life. And I, you know, this many years later have thought, maybe I'm getting close to actually telling this story. And, and I think this morning I'm sort of putting myself, I'm, I'm flirting with that a little bit by teasing it here this morning. So now maybe I, I, I have to or I will soon. Instead of, like, I can't wait to tell everybody this happened, my instinct was nobody will believe me. (laughs) So I'm not going to tell anybody. And Jimmy, my longtime friend Jimmy, who was one of my youth leaders who's been part of our church this year, he was one of the very first people that knew that this happened, uh, you know, 30 years ago. So there's more examples I could give of something crazy or, you know, do we share this? Like, how would anybody believe that this has happened? And you probably have those moments, too. so I have one that I'm going to share this morning and I have found that most people don't believe this in fact Paul, the apostle Paul wrote the letter that we call Ephesians it's a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus Timothy, young Timothy is the pastor of this young church every church in the first century was young they were all new and part of what paul is give me a second as i open this part of what part of what paul is saying in the very first chapter is that god created the world to be his reflection the world the garden of eden which was our world and still should be if we hadn't selfishly taken control and marred the world, broken the world, the world was supposed to be what the Old Testament word temple means. It was supposed to be the space where humans and God dwell together. This was God's intention. And since the world has been broken by human selfishness, God began a plan to reconnect those worlds together again. And the plan will happen in Jesus. Jesus will come. Many, many in the Old Testament leaders, prophets, were beginning to tell, God has filled my knowledge and my heart with this understanding. One is coming. The Messiah is coming. And Paul is telling us, in part, through ...Ephesians, elsewhere in the New Testament... ...he's telling us, this is the mystery... ...that I want you, these young followers of Jesus in Ephesus... ...and and what transcends that is I want all followers of Jesus around the world... ...to understand the reality that God is reconnecting again... ...what is now a broken human world... ...with God's perfect activity and presence and character... ...in creation and creativity... He's reconnecting those two worlds in the person of Jesus. And until Jesus comes again to finish this process of renewal, the church will be the vehicle of this renewing of broken human world and God's perfect, creative, beautiful world together. The church, not pastors up on stage, not buildings. Remember what we're taught in the New Testament. The church are followers of Jesus like you and me. Imperfect. Imperfect people. So many of us want to argue ourselves out of that. Well, not, I attend a church because my life, Brad, if you knew, oh my gosh, I can't represent Jesus. I'm still trying to figure out where there's this thing that I chose, this mistake that I made. There's the, we, we go into this rationale like... I can be part of the church sitting and listening every week, trying to get my head around who God is, trying to become a better person. That's usually the argument that we want to propose when Jesus says, no, this is imperfect, broken humans who are beginning to put their faith in me that I'm saying will be my vehicle of hope and life and good into the brokenness of earth. And when you and I accept that, When we say, wow, okay, I guess I'm going to be a part of that. I I am a part of it. It's not like a magic trick, but something begins to unfold in your life. Where you see, that just happened on Thursday. Because I've said yes to God working through me as part of his church. This conversation yesterday happened I know because God is using me imperfect as I am he's beginning to use me in the lives of other people to share hope in life and to be an encourager there's something transcendent beyond my own encouragement to something beyond me is happening in this relationship that I know is God at work in me and it's not because you're trying harder it's because you've said yes Not just to Jesus rescuing you personally, but yes, to you being part of God's rescue plan in this broken world that he calls the church. So I'm going to read, I'm I'm just going to read this uh, part of this letter of Ephesians this morning. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy and to that young church and to us, when I pray for you, His community, language for the church. This is another way of him saying the church, the people of the church. When I pray for you, his community, this is what I say to God. Paul says, Father, give them minds ready to receive wisdom and revelation so they can see, they may see things people can't normally see. Paul is coming out here. He's pulling back the veil to say there's a mystery In God, working something brand new on this broken planet. We think our generation is saying our world is lost. All hope is lost. We're as divided as we've ever been. I mean, Americans are all saying this every day. It's what we think and feel. It's what we see in the news. Every generation's been saying this. Go back to the Holocaust generation. Not very long ago. Americans thought the world is near the end. Go back to the Roman Empire. Our world, since humans selfishly took control away from God, has been broken. And we thought somewhere innately in our cognitive recesses of our minds that... ...I don't know if this place is ever going to be made better. I don't know what's going to heal this planet. It just seems to be getting worse. You ever thought this? I mean, what about with our technologies? Never have we been so technologically advanced. I just told in our, our all-call prayer time out here in the lobby at 30 minutes ago, we're about to go back to the moon on Monday. Now, this is an unmanned Artemis 1 on Mondays, the, the test flight. It's unmanned. We're going to go deeper into a deeper orbit around the moon than we've ever gone before. If this goes well, we're sending people. And in just a few years, 2025, we, we will have people building a base on the moon. A launch pad to Mars on the moon. We will, within 10 years, have people permanently living on the moon. Now, if it doesn't seem like I'm excited, I'm excited about this. I just think it's super cool. Medicine and so much advancement is happening. And yet, our generation is saying things seem to be worse than ever. Right? We hear these things. We think these things. This is happening in every generation. It's never going to change until we wake up to the solution that Paul is telling us is the mystery. I'm praying, church, he says, I'm praying, community of Jesus, that your minds will be ready to receive the wisdom and revelation so they, you and me, so that we may see... Things people can't normally see. Because we're coming to know, we're growing in our knowledge of who God actually is and what his plan is. His plan is Jesus is going to reconnect broken planet, earth, broken humans with the perfect realm and reality of God. It's all converging in the person of Jesus. And his vehicle, until he returns, is his church. Not buildings, not Pastor Brad up on stage, not the people up elevated up. on, Those who collectively follow Jesus. Something about us accepting this and understanding it and saying yes to it transcends us from our flaws and mistakes and terrible choices in those days where we're not even sure God exists and the things we never would want anybody to know. That's the human condition. Jesus says, I love you so much. Not only have I come to rescue you, I'm now making you part of, this is the mystery. I'm making you part of the rescue plan for the planet. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that you'll get this because many people don't get it. They think they're supposed to just go to church and be encouraged or try to be good people. Paul is trying to awaken us to this mystery that Jesus has, God has a plan, it's in his son Jesus, to move the world towards healing. To move this broken place toward renewal. And I want to tell you, Something freakish about me. I see it regularly in people's eyes when they look at me, when they hear me talk. I appear or sound like some sort of freak to people. This is increasing. And I don't, I'm, I'm not leveling this against you like people here at Dulles necessarily. This is just friends, friends around the country, people I talk to regularly. When I don't get loud and emotional about the Supreme Court or about who's in the White House or who should be in the White House, or about the midterm. Some of what's influencing this this morning is the midterms are coming, and I can feel I can feel the emotion. I can feel the anxiety ramping up again in people. It's in conversations every day. I'm not exaggerating. Every single day, I hear it and feel it. Oh boy, here we go. We've got to get this right, or we better not continue on the same path. Or and. People respond to me as if I'm some sort of freak when I'm not loud or upset or angry at what's happening here in our city on Capitol Hill, what the Supreme Court has decided or hasn't decided. And it is not because I don't care about this country or that I'm not engaged politically. I have lots of opinions about the Supreme Court, I have lots of opinions about abortion and about what life is. I have opinions about guns and the Second Amendment. I could sit here and rattle off. I, in fact, when people look at me like, I don't think Brad cares very, I don't think Brad's paying attention because he doesn't seem upset. I would argue that I probably pay attention than most. I am a news junkie. I care, I, I've, I, I'm very patriotic. I'm concerned about the direction of our country in many ways. The reason I don't get so bent out of shape or start talking with my neck turning sort of red, or angry at neighbors, or this person on social media said this, or the election better. is because I believe there's something that actually will heal our world that isn't American politics. Should you vote? Absolutely. Should you care? Absolutely. Should you get involved? Of course I do. The reason that I don't get into the emotional issues of Supreme Court decisions or up here on stage isn't because I'm trying to keep everybody happy. I don't don't mind appropriately offending or challenging people in my friendships or relationships. The reason I don't invest all of my energy and time on this is because there's something so much better than flawed humans that are running for political office. When are we going to... I don't know how we don't get this by now. Whatever the Republican Party, if if we swing back to the right, having control of Congress, you understand that it's going to swing back left, don't you? Don't we? Don't we understand that? And then it will swing back right again. And then it will swing. Because we're just, they're not getting it right. He didn't, she didn't. I thought she was going to. Let's care about our country, and let's vote, and let's be involved, but let's put our attention and our passion, which is evidence of our actual faith. That's what I'm really challenging here today, is the idea that people come to church on Sunday mornings to be reminded who who God is, and to be reminded that someday, at death, God has a better place for me, and so I'm going to give God my attention, and I need him to rescue me, Someday in the future. And what we are missing is the letter to the Ephesians that, no, the rescue plan has begun and we are called to be part of it. Now. In our imperfections. And I'm telling you, that is such an intimidating thought. I think it's safer to just put our faith in the next candidate or in American politics or government. Paul says that Let them see the full extent of your power that is at work in those of us who believe. That's another phrase he uses for the church. He's about to use the word church. But all of these descriptions are about people, the collection of followers of Jesus who make up the church. Let them see the full extent. Well, what is the full extent of God's power for those of us who believe? He says, friends, it is the same might and resurrection power. What? What? It's the same might and resurrection power that God used, the Father used, in the anointed one to raise him from the dead and to position him at the Father's right hand. Churches and many, many followers of Jesus today don't have this idea that the same power that began to renew this earth at the empty tomb is now available to people of the church. Renewal has begun. The story of rescue of this planet has begun with Jesus' resurrection. And for those of us who are being resurrected from our defensiveness, from our quick-tempered reaction, from our, self, from our ego, all of these things that are broken versions of who God designed you and me to be originally, the renewal of you and me has begun. Resur- Jesus' resurrection, power at work in you and me, and it's available for our entire planet. Please don't leave here thinking, Brad's telling me not to vote. You understand that, right? Care and vote. I'll I'll be maybe more frustrated if I find out you don't vote. Vote. It's an incredible privilege. Just don't put your faith in American government or politics. It never works and it never will work to solve what you and I crave. You and I are craving actual healing in unity And government and politics is never supposed to change the human heart. That's what heals the planet. It's the human condition, the human heart, selfishness, reversing. It's part of my story. Anybody who follows Jesus, it's part of your story. I used to be, Amy and I, we we don't talk about how rough our marriage was in the early years just because we were kind of stuck on that theme somehow. We, we share that story a lot because it, it relates to so many people who can say, you know, we smile at church, we come in here, we, we've got to, we go to the dinner, we, we want the community to see our neighbors, we, but marriage is hard. And I don't like this person I'm married to anymore. Well, we know what that's like. And Jesus has done something in us and in many other areas of our lives and hearts that we could not change on our own where you start to elevate another in imperfect people, and you start to love Democrats, who would even think of it, or Republicans. You actually care about the person you disagree with. You actually care about the person who thinks differently than you. You, you care about them. You don't care about being right anymore. Jesus didn't care on the cross about being right. He allowed the wrong to kill him because he knew he was elevating us. By taking our death, our selfishness, he cared more about taking what ails us onto the cross with him than he did about proving the Pharisees or or Rome wrong, which eventually proves them wrong in the future. We're we're a North Point partner here, Uh, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, is a I think the third largest church in North America. And it's just, it's not just large, but it's super great. So much integrity. And there's a partnership of a, a bunch of churches around the country and now around the world. That, And we're a partner church with North Point, And Andy Stanley's the lead pastor. And in May, they have the DRIVE conference at North Point, which is for pastors, church leaders, church staff team members, uh, volunteer leaders of teams. And, and, and so nine or 10 of us went, Uh, again in May, and in one of the sessions, this ended up being, I think it was, we collectively agreed, our favorite session. Andy interviewed on stage Crawford. Crawford is another pastor in Atlanta. They're very good friends. Crawford just retired, and Andy invited him to come on stage for this interview, and the 1,700 people that were there were just buzzing after this interview. I'm not gonna play it all. I'm gonna play two short clips of it. This is the first clip that you're gonna see. And Crawford uses the word gospel here. We don't don't use the word gospel in everyday language here as a church because our outside world doesn't know what it means and it sounds like a churchy word. But gospel in the Greek and in in the New Testament is a very, very precious word that means really great news. In fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are named the the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Luke, because it's their telling of the story of Jesus, this remarkable news that's going to change everything. And so that's just a reminder. He, he uses that, that word here. So let's watch this first clip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack it with you here just a little bit. And listen, if, if you hear this and think we're not about diversity here, you're missing the point. Really engage at the, the deeper level of what Crawford is saying here about something greater than even the attempt at diversity. Let's watch it together
2: for the next uh, few minutes because you're going to get to hear from one of my favorite people. Every once in a while, somebody will say, Andy, what are you reading or who you're reading or who you're leaning, you leaning into these days? And so um, Crawford Loritz is the person I have been leaning into these days. Um, Crawford, um, he and I actually reconnected um, uh, just a few weeks after George Floyd lost his life in that tragic, epic event that just you know, caused um, appropriate disturbance in our culture and just sent ripple effect through as we're again in the middle of COVID, coming up on a, uh, a difficult um, election season, election, election cycle. And so, I called Crawford. I said, will you come over to my house? I'm gonna invite some pastors over. And we just we just need to sit and process this because we wanna get this right in terms of our response as pastors in particular. And he came over and I mean, the nuggets just, I mean, they just poured out. We we're just taking notes like crazy. Then since then, I've had an opportunity to have several conversations with him. I take notes as fast as I can. We were having dinner uh, with Crawford and his wife, Karen, who's also here today. We're so thrilled to have both of you. Um, and there was probably six couples around this table and each couple was supposed to share Something And so Crawford starts talking and I got my phone out. And Sandra's like, put your phone away. I'm like, no, I'm taking notes. I mean, everything this guy says um, is so significant. So not a few months ago, um, Crawford was here and I interviewed him um, for a a worship service. And our staff is like, you gotta invite him to drive. So I did. So would you please welcome my friend of yours, Dr. Crawford Loritz. The other interesting, interesting thing um, because I, I'm super familiar with the history of that church. I remember yeah, yeah. the guys that started it years ago, but it was about, it was predominantly a white church, like 90, 95%. Yeah, or so, higher. Yeah. Or higher. <laughs> yeah. And so when I heard that they had called you and you'd accepted the call, I thought, what a coup for them to get you, but it just seemed, it just, that was just a, an unusual thing. So a little yeah. bit, I know we don't wanna talk a lot about that, but. What was your thinking going, was that awkward? Was that an issue, was that a factor? What what were your thoughts?
0: No, it wasn't awkward for me, and just to push the rewind button, and that's because of uh, God's sovereign foundations in my life, I was born and raised in the central water of Newark, New Jersey, first 12 years of my life, and... Jersey folks don't get out much, it's just... (laughs) just, Sorry (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So uh, um, back then, in the 50s and 60s, uh, believe it or not, my, it, it was a working-class community that was multi-ethnic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to school and played ball with John Sangiovanni and Rocco Bonavice, as well as Gerald Adams and Lloyd Cotton. And so growing up, and, uh, and on the, the, the other side of that, though, however, is that my family, particularly my dad wanted to make sure that we were anchored in who we were as African-Americans. My stories of my great-grandfather, Peter, who was a slave and the patriarch of our family. So I grew up with these two streams in my life. So I grew up um, never thinking that I had to choose ethnically who my friend should be or who I should love. And so that, I had always been in those circles. So fast forward, when I came to fellowship, I didn't come to fellowship to make an ethnic statement. However, obviously, I'm, I'm committed to the visible representation of the unity of the body of Christ. And, uh, but I didn't come to make an ethnic statement. And I tell folks who are getting in these spaces that if, if diversity is your objective, you're going to fail. But if gospel unity is your objective, you will probably succeed. And so... Um, so I came to love the people well, and to get, preach you, the you word. You see, this is, you're going too fast. Say that again. If, if diverse, say it again. I don't want to. Uh, the process cannot be the ultimate objective, okay? Uh, if diversity is your objective, then paradoxically, it's going to feed islands of separation. Why? Well, be, because you're going to be you're gonna be putting people in the room who are different and then you're gonna be celebrating those differences and it lends itself to silos, if not division. Wow, It's a paradox. That is a paradox. However, if, if, if it's gospel unity, unity is always based on sacrifice. Love is always based on sacrifice. It's not quid pro quo. It's not, it's not uh, appeasing certain factions. It's 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 disadvantaging myself for the blessing and benefit of another if that takes place and that's 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 transformative that's driven by the spirit of God and that creates that creates something that is attractive and so that that was and 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 that was my passion and and uh, and that's what happened and that's what happened. Yeah.
1: Okay now if 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 this seems like oh Brad's now talking about diversity this is this is an example What Crawford was talking about in this interview is how few, in his opinion, how few followers of Jesus in the Western world understand the rescue plan. That the church has access to this remarkable power. Not the church, the organization, or the name, but the people who follow Jesus collectively together agreeing we are now being resurrected from our past from our attitude towards our spouse toward our quick defensiveness toward our wanting to elevate ourselves into becoming people who elevate others at our own expense at the expense of you in your time or your resources like jesus lived and modeled and calls us to when when that takes hold in our minds and thinking The astonishing reality of God's mystery is the rescue plan has begun and he's using the people of his church in the process of renewing this broken planet. A neighbor who's hurting, the friend who's going through the divorce, the egocentric guy you work with who just isn't happy and is starting to open up about where life might really be and you become this friend or this voice or telling your own story that somehow is having an effect on other people to the point where you may not even see the change you're having you may not even you may not hear the transformative effect of your words happening in someone's home or someone's mind or heart but the planet is changing because of how you are stepping out and taking a risk with a neighbor or a friend or family member or a co-worker or someone at school, and they're seeing the reality of Jesus in you, and they're no longer, they're beginning to shift in their actual tangible faith, their practical faith of politics. That's what most Americans, in my opinion, actually believe now. I'm convinced of it. The vast majority of Americans' practical day-to-day faith is in politics, and they don't know what else. Science? medicine and politics. And people who encounter this Jesus in you and me, as imperfect as we are, but his his work renewing you and me, there's something that begins happening in that broken person where their faith in politics or in the stuff of this world just diminishes a little bit more. And They're moving more and more toward what you have begun believing, what your story is, that there's a God who loves us, who came into this world, and he is not leaving it broken, but he's renewing it. He's moving it back little by little toward the Garden of Eden. Catherine, I'm going to go back to that text before this clip. I was saying, you know, quoting Paul here, reading Paul, friends, it is the same might and resurrection power that the Father used in Jesus to raise him from the dead and to position him at the Father's right hand, there is nothing over Jesus. There's nothing in the universe that's over Jesus now. When you come out of a tomb after three days, you have power over death. You have power over everything. Paul says there's nothing over him. He's above all rule, all authority. He's over every leader and every power, over every name invoked, over every title bestowed in this age and the next. Jesus is over chemistry and biology. Jesus supersedes us traversing our solar system in the coming years. Jesus is over every philosopher in great idea. He now holds all power because he's come out of the tomb. God has placed all things beneath his feet. Now, here it comes. Get ready. God has placed all things beneath the feet of Jesus and anointed him as the head over all things for his church. What does that mean? I've read this and heard this my whole life growing up in church. This is just one of those lines that just sounds like church language. It means something. People like me will never really know what it means. Like, The Father has anointed Jesus as the head over all things for his church. What Paul is saying is that Jesus is the head of the body that will move in this world, walking out, speaking, acting, bending down to offer renewal and hope and life to broken humans. He's talking about the body, the vehicle of renewal, and Jesus is the head of those arms and legs. Who are the arms and legs? It's the church. It's you and me. In fact, he says it in the next line. This church is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all in all, the one who fills everything with life and everything with renewal, he's the one who fills the church to walk out this mission, this purpose. Do you see why I don't get red in the face about the next election or we've swung or this decision was made? I care about our country and I believe, we believe in diversity here. I think we've modeled that well. He's not saying diversity doesn't matter. He's saying if your objective is simply to make the room look more equitable, you're actually going to elevate the differences. What really unites is us coming together around the gospel, which means the actual great, compelling news of what rescues our world Jesus. Democrats, it's why liberals and conservatives come into this place every Sunday and sing together and serve at the Dulles neighborhood closet last week together. It's why we love each other and we're learning from each other because. The other side is not the enemy. And I don't have all the answers and you don't have all the answers. That's what unites us, our common unity, our community is that one has come into the world to rescue this planet. And the renewal has already started. One more clip here by Crawford in this interview. Um, I'm sorry, Catherine, I'm going to read, I want to read the Acts 15 verse first. James is in Acts 15, this is a powerful moment where the church leaders, all the apostles are gathered together, and there's this dilemma. They had all believed that God's love and Jesus' arrival was for the Jews only, God's favorite people. This was a common belief in the first century, and Jesus communicated it, and now the apostles are understanding, no, Jesus came for everybody. He came to unify this planet again. It's not going to happen through Rome. It's not going to happen through politics. And they're having this council, this, this gathering of all the apostles in Acts 15. And Peter has just made this case, like, I've seen Jesus changing Gentiles, non-Jews. I've seen it. It's happening. God's love is for everyone. There's no favoritism. He's come to blend all of us together into this new family. And James stands up and says, I couldn't agree more. That's what's happening. And in this one line, James says this. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who are turning to God. Why would we add our own traditions? Why would we value and worship these man-made rules that keep the outsiders to the church on the outside. Let's remove anything that isn't Jesus. And that will attract the outside world. It's what they're craving. It's what everybody's craving. Everybody's craving the essence of who Jesus actually is. Let's remove anything from our church that isn't him. And then let's watch people be drawn in and be attracted and their hearts change and like, oh, your story is my story and I want what's changed you. All right, with that, this is the second of two clips from the interview in May. Crawford uses the word evangelical here, and sadly that word has come to mean, in America, a voting group. On the right, religious people, this extreme version of Christians that vote a certain way, that's right or wrong, that's, that's, that's what the term means now. The word evangelical meant, in the New Testament, to share the gospel, the exciting, compelling, remarkable news for our planet. Sharing that is the word euangelion, the Greek word ev- evangelical. And so he uses that word here, and that's, that's what he's referring to. Let's, let's watch this amazing little bite from this interview. Gosh,
2: okay. So I'm um, going skip all these questions. They're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's, let's talk about something more fun to talk about. Let's talk about because uh, this is stuff we we chat about all the time. We're just chatting about it back here. So, and, and I brought this up the first session as well. The pressure to politicize the local yeah. church, especially in this this last election cycle. And here it comes again. I mean, it, yeah. it's not over. Just what, what's your take on that? And, and what, what would you wave us off of? And then I'm gonna ask you, I know you don't like this i've, I've said third time I've done it, so you must not hate it, but I want <laughs> you you said something in a sermon in at fellowship church that got you in, in a little bit of hot water, and I just thought it was amazing and i I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but I asked you this in front of our whole congregation in our first interview and um yeah. It was great. It took a lot of heat off me. I, they yeah. realized I wasn't the only crazy person, but. Yeah, anyway, it, it just,
0: resurrected some things for me on my, my yeah, social media. That's feed, right. But that's quite all right.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you're out now. You're yeah, a yeah, prophet. Yeah, yeah, you're free. Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> I mean, you are. You're, you're a statesman. Uh, anyway, so talk about that. means about, old as dirt, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's no. a,
0: yeah no, no. Talk yeah, about that a little bit. Yeah, um, you know. Listen, I I, got to tell you, the the last two years, and and this is not hyperbole or overstatement, my heart has been broken and I've wept. I've I've wept over the co-opting of evangelicals, and I'll say it strongly, and the prostitution of the gospel where we have bowed at the shrine of political power and it's awful. It is awful. We've, we, we've, we've, we've attached these barnacles to the cross and to our Christianity, that, it, that, that, that biblical Christianity has become unrecognizable to a watching world. We're known more for what we are against and our secondary issues. We've put primary passions into secondary causes. And even though we all have our preferences, I have mine. I have the candidates that I would vote for. We must not take that nonsense into the kingdom and into the church. We celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And there is no salvation in either party. And to borrow a term from you, and I love what you said, uh, that, that Christian should never be an adjective. It is always a noun. Always a noun. There's not a Christian independent, a Christian Republican, a Christian Democrat. Don't allow that term to be eroded by these power bases. Vote for who you want to vote for. Uh, Align yourself with that. But as members of the Church of the Living God, don't erect barriers to people coming to Jesus because of our nonsense and our secondary issues. And uh, this, is, this is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. And we got to stop being bullied by people who say, well, you got to take a stand. Well, I'm taking a stand. I'm taking a stand for the empty tomb. I'm taking a stand for a Jesus who died on the cross. I'm taking a stand for fighting for the purity of the gospel. Then the repackaging stuff that is mired in Western civilization and Americanism. Now, I, I might as well get into this. You you're, you're, you, you're asked me about the comment that I made, and uh, my wife feels that sometimes I should edit what I say. And um, um, so I preached a message at our church, and I, I won't go into the details of it. It's part of a series called Thinking Right About What's Going Wrong. And I, I was talking about a very familiar passage from the Old Testament that sometimes we hijack, rip it out of his context. You tell him uh, which one it is. It, Second Chronicles 7:14, yeah. uh, where we 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 apply that to the United States of America, but you know, basic hermeneutics one-on-one <laughs> is he's not talking about the United States. He's talking about the nation of Israel, a covenant people. Yeah. He's talking about, in its immediate context, them getting the judgment off of them the disobedient people of God, not the disobedient nations around them, okay? So, but we typically use that as a right. slapping on the culture yeah. and this kind of thing. So, but that, I may, I, that was, the, the message was cool until I made these observations. I said, um, we need to understand that the White House is not heaven and the president is not God. And, uh, and then I said, uh, with this caveat, I said, I am committed to this country, and uh, you know I, I will die for the freedoms of this country. Um, I still think it's the greatest country in the world, despite all of our, our sinfulness and other things that are there. Uh, believe that. However, you do need to understand that God does not stand up when our national anthem is played. And uh, so, so, so. <laughs> Yeah, wow, yeah. So at the end of the service, I'm in the auditorium, and this woman comes rushing toward me, and she had fire in her eyes. I see her coming, and I'm saying, security. Uh, and so, you know. And she comes up, and she just, she's shaking, actually, with tears in her eyes, and she says, Crawford, God does stand up when our national anthem is played. And I, I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Ma'am, I want you to say that slowly so that you hear exactly what you just said to me. But before you say it, let me just say this. You mean to tell me that the sovereign God of the universe bows? put this hand over his heart for our country? <laughs> and she said, well, I guess I'm leaving the church. To which I said, there's no locks on the doors. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I should not have said that last line. I <laughs> so There's no I mean, locks on the doors. <laughs> <laughs> I need to grow in some areas of sensitivity, so...
1: <laughs> okay, so quickly here as we wrap up our time together, powerful stuff. I'm telling you, this was about a 45-minute to one-hour interview, and I mean, it, I I just stopped writing at one point because it's like every single sentence matters. <laughs> I'm just rewriting. I was like, I'm transcribing exactly what he's saying. Uh, the political prostitution of our church of the American church. What what does he mean exactly? And these are my notes. These are my observations from recent memory from the last 10 years or maybe longer. First of all, the political prostitution of the church where the church comes together on Sunday morning to be reminded that God loves me and, and has a future eternity of good for me and ignores the missional call, the mystery that his renewal plan for this broken world has already begun. It began with the resurrection. The resurrection is working in you and me as we trust Jesus. He's changing us from the inside out. And now we are part of that renewal work. The political prostitution of the church is taking the church to such a shallow place where churches believe... What we believe politically is what matters. Yes, we'll worship Jesus on Sunday mornings. We'll give him our faith. But Monday to Thursday afternoon, when I'm arguing and passionate, it's about the direction of my country. And what what Crawford means, and these are just several examples, in my opinion, is the falling, America falling for the marketing scheme, the that side is wrong scheme, that has taken root everywhere. And social media has just only confounded this. It's, it's, it's exacerbated this phenomenon in our country. The, the, the mechanism that says the other side is wrong. So wrong that they're dangerous. And they need to be discredited or even eliminated. This is what fills so many people in the West today. This ideology. Like... I have to prove to my neighbor or coworker, I have to argue that that's, that side is so dangerous, it has to be eliminated. And it's a scheme of the GOP and the Democrats, it's a scheme of Fox News and CNN, and people are just buying into it, everybody's taking the bait. We watch interviews and talking heads on the news and it's like, yeah, that's absolutely, they're, they're so wrong. This, and we, the, the prostitution is our passion is stepping away. We're, we're being taken away from. There's a solution that God inaugurated with the empty tomb, with the resurrection of Jesus, life over death in the human condition. Where's our passion for that? I wrote here that um, it leads us, this, this buying into the scheme leads us to the belief that the other side is so wrong, we must protect our country, our views, our side, by discrediting the other side, eliminating them, and voicing that to listen to our side because it's the hope of the world, it's the hope of our country. (laughs) Jesus' rescue of the human heart and human motivations and character is the hope of the world. And when you and I get this, something transcendent happens. We don't become perfect. Our stories don't become flawless. We don't understand the Bible from beginning to end perfectly. But God's work in us begins to emerge where we just start being amazed. Like, what's happening? My friends are being encouraged. Somebody wants to come to church with me. Somebody keeps bringing up the story I told them. And they they sound like they want to talk about God. How is this happening? It's happening because you've said yes to the mysterious plan of God to renew our world and to be part of it. Another example of the prostitution, political prostitution of our country, is confusing and choosing democracy, as important as it is, and people have given their lives for our democracy. I'm sure will in the future. But it's the choosing and confusing democracy, personal independence and rights, in place of a passion for Jesus that says, I'm actually going to surrender. I'm actually going to surrender my rights to the priority of Jesus. I may actually give up some of my resources, a lot of my time. Not just for another person, but somebody who may think differently than me. I'm actually going to live my life to elevate others. I'm not going to fight for my personal rights and independence. I'm going to fight and live for the calling of Jesus in my life. Which sometimes is surrender, a lot of times surrendering the right to be right for the sake of loving another last point here the prostitution political prostitution of our country in my mind and heart and i've seen this for so long is trusting human leaders to transform culture in the heart of humans (laughs) how utterly foolish we know it if we just stop and think about history We know it. We understand. We're electing humans who are broken and imperfect. We're never going to get the perfect solution unless we look to the one who's come with the perfect plan and we say yes to that plan. Oh, there's so much more to say. Um, Here's my challenge. Um, I'll I'll share these quotes I have uh, next time with you, really powerful quotes from some scholars that I, uh, biblical scholars that I love and follow and My challenge here as we end our time together is, I've mentioned this before, buy N.T. Wright's book. It will transform your view of the world. It will transform your understanding of organized religion or what the church is really supposed to be about. N.T. Wright is my favorite scholar from Scotland, from the UK. Surprised by Hope is the book. If you don't have time to sit and read, buy it on Audible. Listen to this book. Uh, give time to the the truth that he writes of the New Testament and the story of Jesus and what gospel actually means, the great, great news that's gonna change human hearts. And then here's a question to spend in your time with God today or this week, okay? Uh, Maybe you have your notes app out or you rewatch this online or listen to it on Spotify. What passion, this is my question to you, what passion have you allowed to overpower the plan of Jesus' love and movement through his church? What have you allowed to replace the passion for Jesus' priorities through his church and you being part of it? What other passion have you allowed to take the place of that? Maybe it's a passion for a person or an idea or a political view. And then here's our prayer. I'm going to read you this simple prayer, and this is going to be our closing. Jesus, will you grow in me a passion for your purposes and for the movement of your church? Jesus, will you begin growing in me a passion for your priorities, your strategy, your plans, and for the movement of your church? And God, may we say yes to being part of this remarkable plan of renewing our world. I love you guys so much. Um, just want us to get this I so want us Wednesday I'm just I'm battling like am I a good enough pastor am I a good enough communicator to help people get this I don't think I am a lot of the time I, I, I don't know what to do I think about standing jumping up and down or do I sound more passionate I, 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 you know all of that's fabricated stuff I, I just want us me included to get this more and more because it's going to change our world one person at a time And I want you to be a part of that with the rest of us. We're done. Love you guys so much.